Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. If this is your first time listening to the show, I strongly recommend you go back and start from the beginning. The story being told here has been building from the case of Charles Dexter Ward through The Whisper in Darkness and into The Shadow of Rensmith. I pretty much figured the story was over, but I was wrong. If you haven't listened before now, what's happening here may not make very much sense. Even if you do know it so far, it's... well... still here? Okay then. And before we start, I'm not Matthew Haywood. Matt had a gift for putting all this stuff together in a coherent and accessible way. I'm finding out that I don't have that gift, so please bear with me and I hope this doesn't get too confusing. Let's start at the beginning. Hi, I'm afraid Red Hook Stories is not currently operating. This machine is checked every now and again, so if you want to leave a message, someone might get back to you at some point. Kennedy Fisher, my name is Marcus Byron. Would you pick up the phone, please? This is January 2023. By this point, Matthew Haywood had been missing for a little over two years, and I had exhausted every possible lead looking for him. I was still dropping into the studio once a week to check the mail and pick up whatever voicemails might be there. But there was no real hope of ever finding Matt, and I was slowly starting to accept that I had to move on with my life. Look, I know you're there. I'm in the cafe across the road. I just watched you walk into the building, so I know you can hear me. Your name was given to me by Parker. Would you please pick up... Where's Parker? You have an answering machine. You know it's 2023. This is the cafe Matt and I used to come to to talk about the progress of our stories. I hadn't set foot in there for two years. I found Marcus Byron sitting at a table in the corner, facing the door. He was in his 40s, with messy hair and wearing a rumpled suit that looked like he'd slept in it. Where's Parker? She's not around. But you're from the department? Kind of. Can I see some ID? No. You know we don't carry any. Okay, look, whatever this is... Parker said I should bring this to you. Kid called Theo Martin, 19 years old, supposedly killed himself a couple of weeks ago. Does this have something to do with Matthew Hayward? Is that a condition of your interest? It is. I don't know. (laughs) Then I'm sorry. I can't help you. Tell Parker to do our own digging. She said you'd be like this. She said you should call Eleanor Peck. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Ask her about Rob Harrison Blake. Ask her about Blake's notebook. (sighs) I'll be here when you come back. I didn't go right off and call Eleanor. I was actually determined not to. But the involvement of Parker, however removed, ate away at me over the course of a couple of days, and I finally caved. Who is he? Was. He's dead. Do you remember the big storm back in 1987? I was two years old. Oh. Well, there was a big storm. Blake died in it, or he was found dead after it. It was a heart attack, supposedly. It sounds like supposedly he's doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Well, he might have died of fright. From the storm? He was a man, Kennedy, not a spaniel. So why does this Byron guy want me to ask you about Robert Blake's notebook? Ah, the notebook. Well, Blake was a journalist. Quite a good one, I think. And then he went off the rails. And by off the rails, we mean... You heard of the starry wisdom cult? Oh. This is where this goes, Kennedy. It's where it always goes. (sighs) Okay, tell me. The Church of Starry Wisdom was a thing in the 1930s, kind of the mystical side of the British fascism movement. Oh, good. Robert Blake was convinced they hadn't died out with the Second World War. He thought they'd gone underground, infiltrated the establishment, and... Blah, blah, blah. And he detailed all of this in a notebook. He made a record of his investigation, yes. 
Every now and then, mention of the notebook surfaces online because people suppose it might hold some juicy names of secret fascists, but mm. the notebook itself went missing. It wasn't in Blake's effects when he died, and it's been missing for decades. Although, to be fair, that's mostly because no one outside of the bedroom conspiracy theorists has ever shown the slightest interest in finding it. We don't like to acknowledge our penchant for fascism in this country, and so there are a lot of scabs we simply avoid picking up. So what would be the Department of Work's interest? I'm not sure. As far as I know, Blake never bought into the mystical side of things. He was into rooting out fascists, and if that necessitated digging into their wacky belief systems, then he was up for that. But I don't think he ever subscribed to any of it. I think it got too much for him, and brought him to the stage where he was seeing conspiracy everywhere he looked. But... He wasn't the guy dancing naked in the woods trying to commune with fairies. So his notebook isn't some mystical tract? I shouldn't think so, no. You'd have to ask Parker, or this Byron guy, why they're so interested in it. The next morning, I went across the street to the cafe. It had been three days since I last saw Byron, but there he was, in the same seat, the same table, wearing the same rumpled suit. You took your time. Why is the Department of Works interested in Robert Blake's notebook? There is no Department of Works. What? It got shut down. When? A year or so after your shenanigans in Pleasant Green. For a long time there was a balance, us on one side, them on the other. And by them we mean... Elements within the establishment, the ones who crave power and don't much care how they come by. It's always meant to be checks and balances, and scales tipped. Well, they described it as budget cuts. And this is why Parker... Everyone's scattered to the four winds. Those who made the most trouble, like Parker, like John Silence, are lying very low indeed right now. So how does Blake's notebook fix this? It doesn't. The department's gone. Maybe one day it will come back, but in the meantime, those who worked for it have a duty to continue that work within whatever framework we can cobble together. If we don't, the other side wins, and that's not good for anyone. Okay, so what do you need the notebook for? Don't know until we see it. All we know is that they have started looking for it, and that search started with Theo Martin. The kid who died. Does the name Philip Gibson mean anything to you? Should it? Probably best it doesn't for the moment. It's a rabbit hole you don't need to go down yet. It seems likely that he was the last person to have possession of Robert Blake's notebook. Gibson died probably in 2010. Probably in 2010 or probably died? <laughs> probably both. His daughter was Theo's mother. There's a chance she took possession of the notebook when Gibson passed away and that when she in turn died of COVID in 2020, the book passed to her kid. It's an unlucky family. <laughs> you don't know the half of it. Family tree looks like a maniac went nuts with a crayon. Anyway, Philip has Robert Blake's notebook. Said notebook is handed down to Samantha and thence to young Theo. Who killed himself. That's the official version, but no, we don't think so. He was killed by whoever was looking for the notebook. That's a reasonable guess. And did they find it? Let's hope not. I'm standing outside a row of small terraced houses on the border of Tufnell Park in Kentish Town. I'm guessing when these were built, they would have been fairly standard middle-class homes. But now, they all have multiple doorbells, suggesting that every one has been converted into flats. Milk and sugar? Laura Gibson is in her late 20s. She is the surviving child of Philip Gibson from his second marriage. That makes her Theo Martin's aunt, his mom's half-sister. When Theo's mom, Samantha, died of COVID, Theo came to live here. Just black, please. It's a cramped one-bedroom flat. The living room, where we're sitting now, still shows signs of Theo's occupancy. He slept on the sofa, and there are history books piled up next to it. His duvet is still rolled up at one end. He was a good kid. Doesn't make any sense. As Laura tells it, Theo was a quiet boy, studious and hardworking. 
It was a difficult life for him. His dad died when he was little. It wasn't much of a loss, to be honest. He was a nasty bastard. But, but then his granddad, my, my dad, vanished off the face of the earth when Theo was just six or seven. And they'd been close. My dad thought the world of him. Daniel Martin, Theo's dad, died of an overdose in 2006 when Theo was two. Samantha, Theo's mom, was left alone to raise the boy. She had health problems and struggled financially. There'd been money way back. My great-grandfather was a big deal, apparently, in the 20s and 30s. I never knew him. But then his son apparently pissed all the money away. By the time my dad was born, there was nothing left. It's a constant battle just to put food on the table, you know? But Theo showed promise. I, I don't know where he got it from, but he just... He just inhaled books. He had all this energy. His mum died while he was in his first year of A-levels and even then he managed to keep it together. You've never seen exam results like those. On the morning of January 3rd, 2023, Theo Martin left Laura's flat to go for a run. This was part of his daily routine. Laura saw him before he went and she said he seemed fine. In the previous October, Theo had started doing medieval history at the University of East Anglia. Financially, it was hard, but Theo was loving it. That morning, Laura and Theo had talked about when he was going to return and what preparations needed to be made. Theo seemed bright, Laura says. He was looking forward to going back to Norwich. But he never returned from his run. A few hours later, the police knocked on the door and told Laura that her nephew's body had been found on the railway tracks beneath a bridge in Camden. There was no note, and there were no witnesses, but the coroner ruled the death a suicide. He seemed fine. People say that, though, don't they? Oh, I don't know what to think. If someone did this, why? What did he ever do? There are photographs of Laura on the mantelpiece in this room. Despite her difficult circumstances and the losses she's suffered in the past, she sports a really bright smile in all the pictures. Someone has taken that smile away from her. Someone who probably never even knew she existed. Did you ask about the notebook? She didn't know anything about it. Did you search the place? Did I toss the tiny apartment of the grieving auntie? That was the point of the exercise. It's not there, Byron, and Laura knows nothing about it. Hardly any of Theo's stuff is in that apartment. Of course, no, because it's in Norwich. Someone beat you to that punch, I'm afraid. I show Byron the printout of the local news story I found online. Two days after Theo Martin died, someone broke into the flat he was sharing near the University of East Anglia in Norwich. Shit. I don't think they found the notebook. Why not? Because I don't think Theo Martin ever had it. I'm in Byron's car and we're heading out to the Thames estuary, to the village of Canudon in Essex. This was the birthplace of Philip Gibson, and according to Laura Gibson, her father had a unit in a storage facility out here. The space was rented in Laura's mother's maiden name, Davis, so we're hoping that whoever is searching for the blank notebook hasn't thought to look here yet. What? No, nothing. Parker warned me about the constant narration. I thought she was kidding. If the name Canudan is ringing any bells with you, then it's probably because this was the birthplace of George Pickingill, the man who at the turn of the 20th century, was supposedly one of the vessels for Ipkuaya. The history of witchcraft and witch trials in this area is long and unpleasant. 
I'd been around here a while back, investigating something called the Salt Marsh Incident. It's not a place I was ever hoping to visit again. The storage facility is a few miles outside Canoon itself. This area of Essex is more or less completely flat. The sky really dominates. And it's quiet. It feels empty. The facility doesn't look to have been purpose-built. If I had to guess, I'd say this was some kind of industrial building from the early 20th century. It's military. World War II RAF Canoon was a chain on radar base. The early warning system for when German planes came across the water. It's all gone now, but this was probably a part of the facility. You've been to Orford Ness? Where I met Parker. Ah. Strange things happen around these places. Okay. Great pep talk. It doesn't feel like anyone's around. Hold up a sec. Too quiet. There are no birds. I would say you should wait in the car, but... Yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't suppose you have some kind of skeleton key or... (laughs) Skeleton key. (laughs) The interior of the building is dark. There's no one around. What? Quiet time. Talk your bollocks as a voiceover. The interior of the building was dark. There was no one around, and no signs of life. We stepped into a dark corridor that ran off to the left and right, lined on both sides with locked storage spaces. More corridors ran off this main one, so that the inside of the facility was laid out like a grid. What number are we looking for? 23. (laughs) What? Things fall apart. In the I Ching, 23 is the number representing entropy and destruction. You believe that stuff? Reality doesn't care what I believe. Number 23 had an up-and-over door, like a garage, fixed with a heavy-duty padlock that looked like it had been there for some time. This lock's going to take a couple of minutes. These markings on the door, are those Enochian? Magic awards, yeah. You don't remember this Philip Gibson guy, do you? The name Gibson rings a vague bell somewhere. A while back, you and Matthew Hayward ran across a woman called Amelia Fenner. Uh, yeah. She had a kid called Destiny. Melody Cartwright's mum. Right. Oh, shit! And before Destiny married Melody's dad, she was married to a guy called... Philip Gibson. Bingo. Light switch somewhere. Ah. Oh, Jesus. There's just so much content these days, right? Where do you put your precious attention? I'll tell you. You put it here. BBC Radio 4's award-winning thriller, The System, returns for a third and final season. I think someone is trying to kill me. 
Did you just roll your eyes at me? When an immersive online game spills into the real world, it becomes clear that this is a fight for survival. Who will win? The richest 1%? We can make ourselves a paradise right here on Earth. Or a group of underground activists determined to save humankind. We are the children of the green man. Why are we? The game is on. The system. Listen on the Limelight podcast feed. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.